Hello and welcome to uh, yet another episode of Man Buns and Jesus. Uh, for those of you who have gotten this far with us in this journey, thank you. Uh, for putting up with our nonsense. Yes, exactly. Um, it's been good to have you and we hope that you stick around with us uh, for a long time to come. Uh, my you sound like Pastor you're making Ben's. the announcements before a church service, Ben. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I got to stop that. Anyway, I'm Pastor Ben Olschlager. I'm pastor at uh, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Lake Orion, Michigan. That, uh, or that, or whatever direction Josh is recording. The degenerate is on the screen with him. Yeah, is Pastor Josh Laborious of Eastvale Lutheran Church in Eastvale, California. Uh Edgewater Lutheran Church in Eastvale, but you were close. Dang it. We've only been doing this for three, four months, you know, and Josh has only been there for, what, six months now? I should know. Seven? Six and like a whole bunch of days. Six and, and most of a seven. Anyway, Josh is at Edgewater in Eastvale. There's too many E's. Neither one of us is awake yet. It's noon on the East Coast, 9 a.m. on the West. But oh, I'm pretty awake. I had pre-workout this morning, so I'm like... I'll speak for myself then. Um, Josh, <laughs> I was going to make a get woke reference and then try and throw the topic announcement over to you off of that. But that seems like a terrible idea. So, Josh... If we had picked we that other topic that we were going to maybe do, that would have been a perfect, maybe. I don't know yeah. if that went... That, anyway, our topic for today fellas and ladies um, is it's a weird one, but you got to stick with us because it might be a worthwhile conversation. We'll see. The jury's still out. Um, is, is actually the power structure in the LCMS, which sounds like a weird and very specific and narrow topic. <laughs> and it could be but you got to stick because because we're going to build it into um, kind of where it actually would affect you um, in in a, a variety of ways. So kind of uh, a base level of like, what is this? Um, if you're listening and you don't know, the LCMS, that is the acronym for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. That is the denomination that both of our churches and us are a part of. Um, interesting fun fact, you as a member of an LCMS church are not a member of the LCMS. The church is a member of the LCMS and pastors are the, are members of the LCMS, but individual parishioners or church members are not members of the LCMS, which is, is just a, a factoid. I don't, I don't know that it matters at all. Anyway, so we're part of this church body, the LCMS, and that church body body has a hierarchy of, um, of I guess, pastors of authority, um, kind of a chain of command, as it were. And it goes, you know, you have the pastors kind of in a church setting. And then I, I would say kind of the next level, correct me if any of this sounds wrong, are circuit visitors which um, the, the sin, well, maybe I should go the other way. The synod is the national body, international body. Do we still have churches what? in Canada? There is like three. Let's maybe back up for a second here. Okay. So we're going to be tossing around a bunch of different uh, uh, um, 
verbiage here, and it, some of it might be kind of foreign to those of you outside the LCMS or even inside the LCMS. Um, to start, the LCMS is, is as a national church body broken down into districts. Uh, a lot of them are based on states or just general geography. Josh is in the California, Nevada, Hawaii, or Pacific Southwest. Nope. I'm Pacific Southwest. And kind of the, the explanation for those circuits is really based on kind of church density. So the yes. reason I'm in the Pacific Southwest, which cover, covers Southern California, Nevada, um, and parts of Nevada, and I think it's just Arizona. <laughs> it is, but Vegas is huge. So yeah. Um, because, you know, churches are a lot more spread out and they're, frankly, there are a lot less Lutherans out here. Then you go to a place like, uh, Iowa, (laughs) they have multiple districts in one state because there are so many freaking Lutherans and Lutheran churches. Um, so that's, that's the, the districts continue with your breakdown. Anyway, so from the districts, then the districts will break down their uh, groups of churches or their churches into, um, depending on what district you're in, it'll either go to regions or circuits next. Um, all, all districts have circuits, not all districts have regions. Um, the circuits are a group of somewhere between usually five and 15 or so churches, uh, all in the same geographic area. Um, unless you're one of the two non-geographic districts, but we're just going to ignore them for the sake of this podcast because that would take too much more time to explain. Um, and then they, the, the, the goal there is to try and, and build relationships between the churches that are in the same geographic area. So like I'm in the North, North Oakland County circuit of the Michigan district. So I have, uh, I think 10 or so churches in about a 45 minute loop from me. You get a uh, nifty Josh. little name. <clears throat> I'm in, uh, I think I'm in region five and in circuit like 14. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Apparently um, we're not very creative. Yeah. Names. So, some of the circuit names in the Michigan district are better. Like there's one that I think is called the Timberline district, which I don't know. That's the coolest one. Um, they can get custom circuit jackets without paying custom <laughs> circuit jacket prices. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> not Timberland, Timberline. Oh. Yeah. Close enough. Sorry. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> at each of these levels, there are different uh, people in authority. <clears throat> so starting at the highest level, the Synod has a president. Um, there's no, it's no accident that the Senate has a president in a country with a president. Um, in some ways, the, the governance structure of the LCMS was built on the governance structure of the United States, but it's also mostly because they didn't want to have people called bishops. Um, and there's Although there are some in the, in the, in the LCMS who would like to return to that. That's true. And there's, there are some districts who will refer to their district presidents as their bishop. Um, and they can do that. But there's historic reasons that we don't call our synodical president the archbishop or call our district presidents generally bishops. Um, <clears throat> and it's not necessarily like a, a 
a super theological thing. It's more so that that term was tainted for a number of early LCMS churches. Um, stepping down from there, next level down <clears throat> is probably your district presidents. Um, they are over your districts like Josh's Pacific Southwest. I'm in the Michigan district. So if you're, um, if you're with me in the Pacific Southwest, our district president's name is Mike Gibson. Um, really great guy and, and very much about equipping churches for ministry. So I, I, let's, let's maybe stop here with kind of breaking down these positions of authority because I think the district president is probably the most relevant for, if you are listening to this podcast and you are not a pastor, okay, if, if you're a pastor, obviously, like, we kind of, the, these guys hold different roles for us because, like, if I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, the district president is, is somewhere up the chain where, like, I'm responsible to him. He'll come in and say, hey, you're not doing what you should be doing or whatever. But as far as you're, you're concerned, if you are just a, a, a regular attender or a member at an LCMS church, um, district presidents, I, as far as kind of, I think in most cases, they serve two roles. Um, the first role is, at least I think in, in what I would call a health, a well-functioning district, they serve to support the local church. So like if, if Edgewater's looking at a big project, if, if Edgewater's looking at a big ministry opportunity, Mike is one of the guys I reach out to when I say, hey, we're looking at doing this. Are there, are there other people in the district you can point me to who are doing stuff like this, who have a device or other people in the district who have resources for stuff like this? Um, so in that way, he kind of acts as like a, a networker of sorts. Um, he, he makes those connections. Sometimes he brings the district's resources to bear um, if that's an appropriate thing to do. Um, so when you're, when you're coming, especially if you're a leader in your church, um, don't forget that when you're, when you're talking about things, when you're talking about doing ministry, your district president's a resource um, and, and the people who work under him are resources. So like a lot of, I think most districts have a mission exec. I think that's a pretty standard position. Um, or something like that. It might not be that title, but something similar. Yeah. Which is like an assistant to the direct district president that works a lot more with mission and, and more directly with ministry. Um, ours is, is a guy named Dominic uh, Rivkin. Great guy. Uh, very supportive in kind of brainstorming and, and getting those things going. So he, the, the district office has all these people in place to kind of support churches. So that's the first role where it would impact you. It, it just on a church level is, um, they're there to support you, right? The other role is if your pastor isn't doing what he should be doing, okay? I, there, it's not pastor either. It's if a church body or the church body's pastor is not living up to the standards that the LCMS has for churches or church bodies. Correct. Or, uh, church or pastors. Um, and typically you work your way up the hierarchy. You don't start with, I'm going to go to the district president about this, but, um, if, if, if everything is hitting the fan, a lot of times the district president or one of his vice presidents is going to come in and we're, and, and situations where I've seen this happen, um, a congregation and their pastor got in a conflict and into a disagreement, Right. So then they can't resolve it. So the district president sent one of his vice presidents to go and try and 
and calmed things down so that the district vice president took a weekend preaching so that this pastor wasn't in that role and, and, and spoke a lot toward reconciliation and how we're called as Christians to deal with conflict and disagreement. Um, so those are kind of I, the positive and negatives of when, when does a district office, when does a district president step in and impact you and your church? Uh, they act as a support, but they also kind of act as that responsible authority for, um, for maybe when a pastor isn't doing his job or has done something inappropriate um, or is just generally being um, a jerk. Um, and then on the other hand, when congregations, maybe when they're not paying their pastors what they should, when they're not paying their pastors enough to, to take care of themselves and their family, um, they might step in or if, if something, if they're abusing their pastor in some way, um, like if you as a congregation are demanding that your pastor work 80 hours a week, the district president is, is in with well within his rights to step in and say, guys, it's not appropriate for you to expect this guy to work 80 hours a week. Right. Um, and not just that you'd be breaking all sorts of us law too. So, yeah. And it's, it's also worth noting that like occasionally, and this is very rarely, but occasionally district pastor or district presidents will step in when congregations vote to make something a part of their practice that goes against the teaching of the LCMS or um, is in violation of something biblical. Um, I can't think of a good example off the top of my head of, of one where I know that that has happened. Um, um, I know it's happened in the history of the church. The only one that comes to mind for me is actually more of a national scale. So this is an instant where the synod, the synodical president stepped in and it's with surrounding the issue of uh, doing communion virtually. Mm-hmm. So the example would be like, I, as a pastor, consecrate the elements through something like this and you have bread and wine at your house that you then take as communion. And the the synod stepped in and said, hey, we need to, they didn't come down with a hard answer on it, but they said, we're asking everybody to not do this until we we sit down and we actually think about whether it's theologically appropriate to do so. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess that's the instance I, I that comes to mind for me of kind of stepping in as far as a practice or a, or a teaching goes. Mm-hmm. So. And it's the, the district presidents more often than not want to serve as a resource. They don't want to be the, uh, the judge, uh, jury and executioner of churches or pastors or um, whatever. But if you find your church uh, either struggling or uh, trying to start something new and exciting, more often than not, one of your best resources is going to be the, either the connections or the resources of your district office um, and your district president or regional vice president or um, a mission exec or someone in your district office will have those kinds of resources and connections ready for you and available to you uh, if you're looking to do something there. Um, are and you ready I to step that, on the ladder here? Well, I, I just want to throw in one, one kind of thing. Uh, and this is something we had we had agreed we were going to talk about um, there. This is one of the reasons that we are part of a national church body instead mm-hmm. of just a bunch of individual churches, right? Mm-hmm. Because 
by coming together and, and, and one of the things that we do is churches will send money to the district, um, kind of a, a tithe of the church almost. I, not very many churches actually give 10% of their budget to the district, um, but they'll, they'll send something. We send something. Um, if you're at Edgewater and you didn't know that, it is in our budget. We send some money to the district. Um, but because we come together as a district and as a synod, we have resources that that. 99% of churches would not be able to leverage on their own. Um, mm. A really easy example is if your church is facing conflict, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod has a uh, organization affiliated with it called the Ambassadors of Reconciliation, which are people who, are, were you in that class? I was not, no. Okay, so uh, like at the seminary, I took a class through them and got certified as a, as a reconciler. Um, and then I also... I took another class with them and, and got certified as a uh, shoot. I forget what the title is, but it's, it's like the next step. Reconciliation is like a one-on-one -on -one individual kind of thing. And then there's a next step. That's sort of a group um, thing. And we have this organization that like their, their professional job is coming into conflicted situations and finding not just a resolution, but reconciling the relationships that have been broken. Okay, there are not very many churches in the country, much less in the LCMS, that have the kind of resources to dedicate to people studying and training just to do that. Right. So that's one of the, the reasons we come together and we walk together as a synod and as districts is because it allows us to to have some of these resources that are disposable or at our disposal that are incredible blessings to to our churches but they just wouldn't be really practical for a single church to take on so that's that's something I, I want to throw in as far as kind of the resources and and that's one of the reasons that we're we're not all lone wolf churches um, is for that and the health plan not gonna argue with that one um, so then stepping down from the district level, um, depending on what district you're in, like Josh and I's districts both have regions. Uh, within our, our regions, there are circuits. Um, I don't know how it works for you, Josh, but within the, the Michigan district, uh, it's more the regional vice presidents that become the, uh, the like, uh, ecclesiastical supervisor for the pastors in their region. Um, and so over me, technically, well, there's a, hold on time out definition for you. If he said ecclesiastical yeah, supervisor point. and you're like, what is that? <laughs> that essentially means church boss, uh, right? Pastor boss, pastor boss. So like if my ecclesiastical supervisor is kind of there to make sure my theology is right, my teaching is right. What kind of, what I'm doing is on the level. So quick definition back to you, Ben. Thank you. So within the Michigan district, my ecclesiastical supervisor is my uh, regional vice president. Um, I know a lot of districts where um, your circuit visitors serves more in that role, where that person is your, your ecclesiastical supervisor. Um, here they have the, or the circuit visitors, which are another role that I'll get to in a minute, uh, set up to do more um, kind of practical uh, counseling and um, <clears throat> um, 
mentoring and uh, I don't know, they're, they're more situated as a resource than as a supervisor, if that makes sense. Almost like a big brother instead of a, a boss kind of thing. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so somebody else who has direct connections with the, the Senate or with the district and, and talks to the district more often. Um, but that, again, that's not how every district works. And so, so regional the, vice president, that position makes sense. That, that title, I think, makes sense. It's a person who's given a vice president region within a district. The circuit visitor is a pastor from one of the churches in a 5 to 15 church circuit who is then elected to be the, uh, the phrase often thrown around, I believe, is the pastor's pastor, right? Um, yeah, the pastor who is responsible for all the pastors in that circuit. Um, and like I said, for me, that's all the circuits within about 45 minutes of my, my church or all the churches within about 45 minutes of, of my church. Um, so how the Pacific Southwest district works is a little bit different, at, at least as far as I know, I mean, I my, my experience with like ecclesiastical supervision mm -hmm. is limited because I haven't done it. And I'm sure you haven't either, but I haven't done anything that I've gotten <laughs> in trouble for. I've had a lot of contact with, uh, actually I haven't had a lot of contact with my regional vice president. I've had a lot of contact with other people at the district. That's but so we, we also have these, these regions and they're headed by regional vice presidents and uh, each, each region gets one. And the regions more are, they're almost kind of flipped from what, what Ben was describing. Our, region, our regions are kind of how support is, uh, is divvied up and delegated around. So if you have a, say you're in the Pacific Southwest District and you're looking to do a big mission project. I'm not talking about like you're, you're going out and knocking on doors once. You're like, you wanna build a building and do a, an institute for mission, or you wanna start a drug rehab center or something like, like something big. You go to your region and they can approve grant money to help you with that. They'll connect you to the big ballers in your district that can help you with that. Um, and then the circuit visitor, it does serve that role of kind of, they put together the circuit meetings there they're in the role of, you know, checking on people just to see how they're doing. So they are kind of that pastor's pastor's role. Um, but then for them, I think that includes the level of there is some ecclesiastical supervision there. Um, and kind of how I've understood it is like it goes up the chain, right? So if you have a problem with your pastor, you don't go straight to the district president. You talk to the circuit visitor. If that still doesn't resolve it, it'll go up the chain to the district VP. If that still doesn't resolve it, it goes up the chain to the district president. So like if you're in the Pacific Southwest district and an issue gets escalated to the point where Mike Gibson is showing up, someone's like really dedicated to doing what they shouldn't be doing. <laughs> um, I feel like, I mean, I don't know. That's um, yeah. Entertaining story kind of. Oh, I think it's kind of funny. Uh -oh. um, I, I had a member in my congregation and I love this guy. Great guy. Um, he, he has a real heart for mission and ministry where he's at. And, uh, and he does a small group on Wednesday nights. He did, he, he's been doing it since long before I got here. 
And what's really cool is I think only one or two of the guys that go to this small group are actually from our church. So he's, he's getting people into the word and it's awesome. And he invited me to it. And he's like, this is kind of like, uh, um, this is a safe space for you because there are so few members from our church, you know, you can just be you here. You don't have to be, you know, pastor, which first of all, I'm just me all the time. Like, I don't, I don't have a pastor face I put on and then a different face um, that I live with the rest of my life. So whether or not that's a good thing, you know, ask, ask someone in the church. But um, anyway, so I show up to this Bible study, which I can't go to anymore because I have a separate small group that meets on that night. But I show up to this Bible study and the church members that are there are my head elder, my congregational president. And then one of the guys who comes who's not connected to our church is our circuit visitor, my ecclesiastical supervisor. I'm like, that's not a safe space for me. Those are the three guys that really can get me fired. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Anyway, so those are circuits. Circuit meetings happen typically once a month. Yeah. And uh, at least, I don't know if this is how uniform this is, but with our circuit, how we'll generally do it is we meet, uh, we meet probably around nine o'clock and we'll kind of just hang out for like a half hour, uh, depending on how late people are running, maybe 45 minutes, just kind of catching up on our personal lives. You know, how, how, how's the family doing? How's, um, how's everything going? And then we, we transition from that into uh, whoever is hosting. So you do it at a different church every, every month. Whoever's hosting will do, you'll walk through uh, an abbreviated worship service together. Um, so they'll preach, they'll administer communion, which is really like, this is one of the reasons I, I, I haven't missed circuit yet. And I don't plan to, unless there's a really good reason for me to not be able to make it. Um, it's really cool because I get to sit in a worship service and I get to receive, you know, I get to hear someone else preach. I get to receive communion. Um, not, I mean, I take communion every week, but I get like someone else consecrates the elements. And that's really like, for me, that's really cool. I really, I really like being part of that. Um, so we'll do that. And then we go to a Bible study and typically um, both the sermon for that service and the Bible study at least for our circuit, are based off upcoming like texts for a Sunday. So it's also kind of like a sermon prep help, um, which is would, would be really cool if I was on the, the three-year lectionary, but I'm not. Um, so they're like, we're preaching on this this week. And I was like, I'm in a different book this weekend. Um, and then, at, so after the Bible study, we'll, we'll do something called casuistry. Casuistry? Casuistry. Yeah. I think that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> Um, but it's kind of, it's like, uh, I don't know how to describe it's, it's, it's almost like a troubleshooting meeting. Like you'll talk about how things are going at these different churches. And like, if I have a problem, um, so say I have a small group and I don't really know what to do with it. Like, I don't know where they're headed. I I don't really like, they're, they're just kind of there. I would go to, I would go to my circuit and I'd say, here's kind of the situation. And you use generalities, right? Like you don't use names. You don't. 
you don't bring in specifics, right? We're not breaking the eighth commandment here. Um, and then you'll have your, your brother pastors kind of brainstorm a little bit and say, well, have you tried this? Or could you do something like this? Or like, here's something we do at my church. Would that help you? Um, which, which can be really valuable. So at least that's what our circuit meetings look like. Um, ours are like the stripped down version of that. Uh, we do a lot more like kind of sharing of what's going on and, and kind of talk through things as we go there. Um, ours are, are like, uh, an hour, hour and a half long tops, um, generally. So just a, a much more condensed version of that. And it all kind of happens in one go. Um, random kind of sidebar here. Uh, the most famous uh, like happening of casuistry, which is a practice that the church has been doing for a long time. Um, <clears throat> and maybe a little bit better explanation is, so you have this problem. And you go, what problems look like this problem, but aren't quite the same as this problem? And then you figure out from there, what elements of the solution to these other problems that we know about can we apply to this new problem? Um, and the most famous example of this is when the Catholic Church was trying to figure out whether or not buying insurance was considered gambling. Um, because if you're buying insurance, right, you're, you're under the assumption that whatever you're buying the insurance for has the possibility to fail. Right. And so in, and you're in hoping time, that the insurance is going to pay out like what you're paying for the insurance is going to be less than ultimately what you need the insurance for. Exactly. Okay. So that's you're, correct. You're, you're, you're hedging your bets against your, your business failing. And this became a big problem when shipping started to become transatlantic. Um, and boats were going down all over the place. And so insurance became almost necessary for anyone who wanted to be in the shipping business to stay afloat. Uh, <laughs> um, if you laughed at that, you, you owe us penance. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, anyway. Penance or dad um, jokes? I, both. I think your penance might be that you owe us dad jokes. Um, I don't want to. I'll take them. Uh, I use them to burn time when we need uh, to get the live stream running. Um, anyway, so the, they went through the whole process of, is this gambling? Is this not gambling? Um, and eventually, I think the determination was something along the lines of, no matter what your business is, there's a chance that it could fail. And so you're just trying to do something um, to make sure that your business is safe. And if, you know, like it, it's more of a security net than it is a gamble um, is what they ended up kind of determining in, in that day and age. And so according to the Catholic church at that point, insurance was good. Uh, insurance was well within the, the Christian purview of, of okay, I guess. Um, and so we do basically the same process in our circuit meetings when uh, new things happen um, in the world. They oftentimes look like old sins, but they aren't quite the same. And so you have to respond to them differently than you did those old sins. But you can take those old sins that you ran into and start to build from there how you're going to respond to this new thing that you're facing. Um, 
And so that's, I, I mean, that's largely what we do at the circuit level. Um, and that I think brings us down to our final level, which is congregational, right? Yeah. Um, on a congregational level, this is where things get extremely convoluted. Um, because on a congregational level, uh, Josh and I are not the ultimate authority on the congregational level. Theologically, we kind of are. Um, well, I wouldn't even but, say we're the ultimate authority. I'd say we're maybe the resident experts on the theology. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's why I said kind of. And thank you for coming in with a better explanation. Yeah. But ultimately, uh, I've got a little over 100 members. You've got a little over 100 members. We both have a little over 100 bosses. Essentially, is how this works. Um, and then it gets even weirder because those people also then elect uh, the regional vice presidents and district presidents. Um, the, our, our members are supposed to get twice as many votes as the pastors in a convention. For every convention that you go to, there's supposed to be two uh, congregational, or congregational delegates and one pastoral. Pacific Southwest has one lay, one lay delegate and one pastoral delegate. Okay, so that might just be for the Michigan district, but in a lot of districts, you, there are more lay delegates than there are pastoral. Um, but, and, and here's, here's where it gets even more complicated is I'm going to push back on the term, you know, we have a hundred bosses. Like we say this facetiously all this time, but like, you're not my supervisor. That is, <laughs> um, while, you know, God is your supervisor, and so are your hundred members, Josh. <laughs> right. Well, it. I. I don't. I. I don't think that the language of boss is as helpful because this, like the job that we and we did a podcast on this. The job that we have is kind of unique in that if I say something you don't like, you cannot fire me for it. Mm-hmm. Right. If you say you, um, oh. Technically they can, but it takes a pretty significant action by the congregation to do it. Right. So say you have a pet sin that you really love and I come against it hard in a sermon and you feel really bad about the sin, but instead of saying, hmm, maybe I should correct this, you say you shouldn't have told me that was wrong that's not something you can fire me for. If this was a regular business and you say something that your boss doesn't want to hear, especially if they're insecure, there's a pretty good chance you're about to get canned. Mm-hmm. But our, our role is different. And what I, the language that I actually like to use is that we're servants of the congregation, mm-hmm. right? So not, not that it's like a boss employee relationship, but we are there to serve. It is mm-hmm. not our church it is not our, sh- like, we are not the big head honcho. That doesn't mean we don't have something worth saying. So, like, I'll, I'll take, we have a, one of our leadership teams as the management team. I'm going to give my input you know, when, or, or the board of elders is maybe even a better example. Because, as, you know, we mentioned earlier, we're the resident theological experts, okay? We've been to seminary. I have more books than I would really care to about these various issues, um, and I actually read every single word of them. 
after after our first year of the seminary, I read every single page that was assigned. Um, so like I have input to bring to these meetings, but my word is not law. Mm-hmm. It's input, and I, I hope that it's input that's worth taking seriously. But you know, I'm kind as far as like who should make this decision. I, I have no more authority in that way for a lot of things than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the exception being maybe when it comes to preaching and, you know, sacrament kind of stuff. That's where mm-hmm. I have authority that kind of. Um, and we basically only do that for take good order. Um, yes. So where I was going with this was um, on a national level, essentially the people who decide what goes on in the church on a on grand scale are the members of our individual congregations they're the ones who call the pastors they're the ones who get to participate in uh district and synodical conventions they're the ones who get to set the policies at districts and and synodical conventions um they have a massive say in who we vote for in, in district and synodical conventions who gets to then be the the uh, pastors to the pastors um and so we have this hierarchical structure but realistically it's down to the individual members to be kind of at the top of that and like so i think maybe a good place. Of, sorry go ahead i was gonna say like the it's kind of the beauty of the church at work again that like we've set this this structure up as a as a place where which is an exceedingly practical it structure. It is, yeah. But it's, it's meant to be a, a, a structure where it encourages the people who are put into positions of authority to be servants. Because ultimately, even though they're put into positions of authority, they are still beholden to the people who put them there. They are still called to be servants to the people who put them there. They are still called to be leaders to the people who put them there. Um, and I think that's kind of why all of this is important and it, it plays back into why it's important to be part of a national church body, because the more that we, uh, the more that the church kind of gets cozy with our culture today, uh, the more that pastors and churches seek, uh, power, fame, authority, money, um, and if you're in a national church body, somebody with a, a structure that's set up to encourage the, the servants, the pastors to be servants, um, you, you have a lot less of that temptation. It's not perfect. No structure is ever going to be perfect, but it's a lot easier for us to check our brother pastors. It's a lot easier for us to check our congregations um, and encourage them to dive back in, serve each other serve their neighbors, uh, and serve the church. Yeah. Um, something that comes to mind when you, when you talk about that is uh, to shift our attitude from Edgewater is my church to I am Edgewater's pastor. Mm-hmm. And, and that, like, that sounds like a kind of a trivial detail, but the reality is, you know, this isn't our church. This is not your church. Mm-hmm we are servants of the church. Like we're servants of a greater mission. Um, so I, I think that kind of segues well into how can, how, how can you get involved? 
with with the LCMS, you know, um, to make a positive church. impact in the church. Uh, the I guess the easiest way is show up, show up to your, uh, your congregational voters meetings. <laughs> like, yeah. like really, like if you care about what the church is doing, you should, sh- especially at Edgewater, we have one meeting a year. Like you can give up one or two hours a year to, to say, you know, mm-hmm. to, to provide your input on, on where the church is, where the church is going. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of one level. Um, if you have the, the ability and the skill, volunteer to serve on, on a leadership team, on you know, the board of trustees, on the board of elders, on the, on the management team, the, the, you know, whatever you call it, your church. Church council. Uh, but what I would say is take an honest stock of your abilities, mm-hmm. right? If you are not a leader, don't seek a leadership role, right? There, there are so many incredible ways you can serve and they're not all that because not everyone has that skill set. Not everyone is a leader of, of people, um, but get involved in your church. Um, kind of the next step up is get involved as a lay delegate um, this is something your church has to vote on. Edgewater, we just voted on our lay delegate for this summer's uh, convention. Um, so kind of, I, and I think a lot of, uh, I, I've been to a lot of churches where, because I think for most districts, you have the option of your pastor can go to the convention and bring the lay vote with him, but the lay person doesn't come. And I think it's really worthwhile for us to have lay people there to actually contribute to the conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's that's another step you can get involved with uh, going to these uh, district and national conventions. Um, so that's that's kind of that. And this is kind of the question that stemmed this whole podcast. I don't even know if I told you this, Ben, but how do you affect change? So say you see something in the church, you see something in the LCMS and you're like, we need to change that or we need to improve that. Um, Like the example that I see, and this is a passion of mine, is I think in the LCMS from a pastoral standpoint, we don't have the education skills we need to. Mm -hmm. We're satisfied with being mediocre preachers and teachers. Mm -hmm. And I, (laughs) I think we should do better than that. If, especially because for a lot of people, preaching is the only real, real time they're interacting with, with God's word during a, during a given week, which we which is a separate thing we need to work on. But like, if that's the only time you get, it better be the best 15 minutes of your week as far as like, get after it. Um, teaching, like standing up and just reading out of a commentary for an hour or sounding like you're just reading out of a commentary for an hour. That's not good teaching, fellas. Um, so like, that's a problem that I see systematically in the, uh, systemically in the LCMS, how would I fix it? Or if you see a problem, how would you fix it? Um, and, and here's, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but here's kind of the, the breakdown of structure that I see. Um, first of all, you show up to those conventions and you get people elected who, who have those issues, Right in their hearts, in, in kind of how they operate. Um, so 
circuit visitors, district vice presidents, district presidents, synodical presidents, right? Um, try your best to get people in power who, who have those priorities to get those things right, to be faithful in those things. So that's kind of the first thing. Um, but like, and, and the question was asked by a young person in my congregation who's like really has some things that they think the LCMS should be doing that we're not right now. And I'm like, if, if you want to affect change, you go, you get your ordination. Because whether or not it's the right, uh, the right way to operate, currently in the LCMS, if you want to be a player, you need the collar. You need the ordination. Um, to, to impact our church body on a national level right now. Um, it's, it's a checkbox you need, unfortunately. Um, so you get that and then you work your way up the chain. You want to, you want to impact policy. You, you work toward one of those roles of district president of, of synodical president. But I think more genuinely, if you want to impact the church on a grassroots level, you start impacting pastors. And from a lay role, that means maybe you go to your circuit visitor and you say, I'd love to do a presentation at the next circuit meeting. If you're still in a younger position, maybe you go, you get your, your doctorate and you strive to teach at the seminary because you will impact generations of pastors that way. You want to ask me what's the, what's the most powerful way you can impact the church? you teach at the seminary because I can tell and you can disagree with me, Ben, but Dr. Joel Bierman at the seminary for better or for worse has shaped generations of pastors who, whether they like it or not, have been heavily influenced by his ideas about theology and practice. Some more than others. <laughs> And some positively, some negative, like some are like his disciples. And I don't know if I would go that far to my, like, I like the guy, but I recognize maybe he goes too far in some places. Um, some are his disciples and they live there. They live by Beerman. But there are some people who do things just because Beerman told them not to. Right. But you have an entire generation of pastors yeah. who have been shaped by, by Dr. Beerman. And he's a seminary prof. Like he, he didn't have any, any fancy position of authority. I mean, I'm sure he's an endowed chair of something, but the reality is he has impacted the, the entire LCMS through teaching classes at the seminary. So you want, you want to ask me how to affect change? Those are the ways I see you, you affect widespread change in the LCMS. I think personally, I think the first step is just talk to your pastor. Um, if you see a need for change uh, and it's not because your pastor is doing something horrible, but just like you notice something in your congregation that's just not healthy. Um, and maybe it's something you've noticed in multiple congregations. Talk to your pastor about it. Um, we want to see the congregation be at its healthiest. We want to see it at its strongest. We want to see it at its, see it at its most, most faithful. Um, and I think if you start there and if your congregation flourishes, it's going to impact a lot of congregations along the way. Um, and so I will push back on the, you need a collar to make a change because I don't, I don't think you do. 
I think if if you have a really kick butt congregation that's doing things the right way, um, and people come, like people see it, and and the church is flourishing, people are going to ask questions, and that's going to impact a positive change on a, a more grassroots level and a more grassroots way. Um, yeah. No, I'll agree with that. I, I guess I should clarify when I say you need a collar. I mean, if you want to be in an institutional position of authority in the LCMS, true, you need a collar for yeah. most for most of those positions. Yeah. So. so that's, I mean, that's that's kind of my my summary and my takeaway too is like, if you see a problem, you know, talk to the people involved. If if it's a, if it's a congregational thing. And it's not something to do with the deep-seated sin in your pastor. Talk to your pastor. Um, if you see a problem with the way that the church operates on a on a larger scale, talk to your pastor about having conversations with their circuit visitors in, in the district. And I want to broaden that. Even you said, even you know, if it's not a deep-seated sin in your pastor, I would say even if it is a sin you see in your pastor, you know, Matthew eighteen calls us to go to each other and to and to to say, hey, you're not living up to the call that you have, not in an accusatory way, not in an aggressive way, but in a way of we're, we're all trying to walk in, in the way that God has called us to, and, and we need each other's support in doing that. Um, and I want to say, I, I, can, I can speak for our churches. I cannot speak for all churches because I know there are pastors out there who are insecure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for myself, and, and I believe I can speak for you as well, Ben, if there is an issue at the church, talk to your, talk to your pastor. We're not, our feelings are not going to get hurt, right? We're going to see that as, thank you for pointing it out. Let's do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the exception being, like, if you come up to me and, and tell me, I think the real problem with Edgewater is you still have a man bun, you should shave your head. I'm going to tell you something very clever that you're not going to like, especially if you're balding, because I'm going to make a joke about how I have to have enough hair for both of us. Um, so I guess if, if it is a personal attack, I'm going to, I'm going to be real with you. What that, Josh. Huh? Remember the biblical example of baldness uh, and, and <laughs> curses and she bears and um, she bears. Yeah. Just I'd be careful with that one. Um, but yeah so if you're a member of Edgewater or of I always forget the name of your church Ben Good Shepherd Good Shepherd it's okay I forgot yours at the beginning of the podcast (laughs) we're even now so if you're a member at Good Shepherd or at Edgewater and you see a problem in the church please tell us Shoot me a text. Give me a call. Tell me at before or after church. Um, because like Ben said, we're, we're, we're interested. We're, we are after the best interests of the church of God's church. Um, and both of us are big enough people to not, you know, get really, really personally offended when, when the church needs something to change or needs to improve in some way. So yeah, ready for takeaways? I already gave mine. Oh, did I miss it? 
Yeah, see something, say something. Oh. I think what I would say is, uh, if I'm going to ask you to take away one thing, it's going to be recognize the blessing that it is to be part of a larger church body and act as if you're part of a larger church body. So, you know, if you're part of a larger organization, that means you take some interest in what's going on with them. You, you vote when it's appropriate, you speak up when it's appropriate. Um, so, you know, the, the smallest example is, is showing up at your voters meeting. And the largest example is if you're, if you are selected to be a lay delegate to one of these bigger things, you go and you let your voice be heard. Um, so that's what I would say is, is recognize the blessing there and, and act accordingly. Right. So uh, things to pray about. I, I mean, pray for the Synod, pray for the districts we're a part of. Um, I, I know at least at Edgewater, it's our practice at least once a month, we pray for by name, uh, synodical president, Matthew Harrison and our district president, Mike Gibson. If, if you are, you know, in, in your personal prayers, I think it's entirely appropriate for you to lift, lift those guys up in prayer. <laughs> they have tough jobs. They, they really do. Um, and, and they need our prayers. Um, so that, that those would be kind of my prayers and, and just prayer of praise and thanksgiving that we have this church body that connects us all. Um, and that helps us head in the direction we need to be heading. Yeah. Anything I, think, I, I think, uh, one other thing, the only other thing that I would add is, um, pray for your other local churches. Um, we pray for our own congregations a lot and that's great, but I think we should also pray for our, our church bodies in our, in our area. Cause like, it's really easy for the fact that we have two churches close to each other to become a rivalry. But I think if we pray for our, our neighbor churches, uh, it helps us project them in a more positive way, both for ourselves and for our neighbors. So all right that's the end of i think this is episode 15 of man buns and jesus uh we are on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, podbean iHeartRadio, tune in alexa with amazon um check us out where wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts give us a give us a follow i guess if you want to know when we release i mean new episodes are Tuesdays, but if you want a reminder, yeah, um, do that. And uh, with that shameless plug out of the way, brothers and sisters, go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.